0: Lord, help us not to be distracted, and Father, I ask that you'd uh, be with the sermon. Father, I pray you'd help me, and I know I don't deserve to preach your word, Father, but I pray you'd help me to just be able to minister to these people tonight. We love you, in your precious name I pray, amen. Alright, well we're there in Acts chapter number 20, and if you remember from last week, Paul called together the elders of the church of Ephesus. He's traveling through and he's making his way to Jerusalem. If you remember, he wants to get to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. He's got certain things he wants to accomplish there. And we're going to get more into that as we continue through in the book of Acts, but if you look at verse 17, it says, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, and called the elders of the church, so if you remember, he wasn't going to actually go into Ephesus, it was going to take too much time, he wanted to get to Jerusalem, but while he's at Miletus, he called for the elders, which we know is pastors, the word elders, pastor, bishop, all used interchangeably in the scripture, he called for the pastors of the church of Ephesus, because he wants to have a meeting with them, and Paul is giving them his Uh, farewell or goodbye address. If you look at verse 25, he says, And now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. Look what he says. He says, shall see my face no more. He says, You're not going to see me anymore. Uh, So I I want to give you a few last words. uh, A goodbye, uh, a farewell uh, message. And if you remember from last week, we broke up his challenge there into two parts. The first part dealt with Paul's ministry to the Ephesians. And he told them of all the things that he did and setting those things as an example for them to to do. And remember we saw all the different uh, things and the trials and tribulations that Paul went through and the beatings and the stonings and the imprisonments and the fastings and all those things. You remember that? And he said, but none of these things move me neither count I my life dear unto myself. But now Paul is changing gears and he begins to challenge them. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. He finishes his challenge to them by giving them a, a few things to think about, a few things for them to, to uh, do. Look at verse 28. He, I want to say point number one, Paul challenges them. Paul challenges them. Verse 28 says, Paul says to, to the elders there, he says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourself. He said, number one, I want you to take heed. Now notice, he says, I want you to take heed, and he gives them two areas to take heed unto. He says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, so he said, you got to take heed for yourself. And then he says, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer... So he says, I want you to take heed of yourself, and I want you to take heed of the flock. You say, what is the flock? Well, the flock there is referring to the church. The Bible often refers to us as believers, as sheep. Before we got saved, it says we were as sheep that went astray. And the shepherd, you know, went out and searched for us and found us. So the flock there is a congregation of the church. Keep in mind, he's talking to elders. He's talking to pastors. And he says to them, I want you to take heed. The word heed there means to give careful attention to. That's what the word heed means. And someone says, hey, hey, take heed of that situation. They keep, they're saying, hey, be very careful. Give careful attention. And Paul challenges these elders and he says, I want you to take heed. I want you to give very careful attention. He says, take heed to yourself and take heed to the flock. What he's saying is take heed to those whom the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. And the word overseer means like a someone well, someone who sees over, or someone who manages, someone who administrates. And he's telling these elders, he's saying, I want you to take very careful attention for yourself and for those who you are overseeing in the congregation. Now, keep in mind, he's talking to pastors, but we can learn from this this. God wants you to take heed to yourself and to anybody that you might have authority over. Like we said, take heed means to be careful, give attention to. Now, obviously, all of us don't pastor church. So you're not going to, you know, take heed to a congregation, maybe, if you're not a pastor. But you do oversee, and you do have authority over someone, over something. And you ought to take heed to yourself and to the congregation. You say, well, and, and to those who you oversee. Look at verse 28 again. He says, take heed therefore unto yourself, so, and to all the flock which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. You say, how do we take heed? What exactly do you want us to do? I said number two, he, or number one, he says... Paul challenges them. Number two, Paul commends them. Look at the last phrase of verse 28. He says, To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Paul says, I want you to feed the church. I want you to feed the congregation. He looks at a bunch of pastors, a bunch of elders, and he said, Your job is to feed that church. You notice how he defined for us what the flock was? Because he said, Take heed to yourselves. He said, take heed therefore unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseer. And he said, to feed the church of God. So he said, I want you to feed the church of God. But let me tell you something. It, yes, it's my job as a pastor to feed the church. But let me tell you something. When you oversee or when you are in authority over someone, it's your job to feed them. Say, so what are you talking about? Keep your finger there in Acts chapter number 20. And go with me just real quickly to the book of Ephesians. You're there in Acts. We're going to go past the book of Romans. 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, and then we'll be in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Let me show you what the Bible says that my job is as a pastor uh, for the flock or for the congregation. Ephesians chapter number 4. Look at verse number 11. Look at what the Bible says. Ephesians chapter number 4. And look at verse number 11. Ephesians 4.11 says... And He gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and teachers. He's saying, these are the reasons God gave you these. Now, we understand that apostles don't exist today. Prophets don't really exist today, other than someone who preaches, you know, the Bible's prophecy. Uh, evangelist is a soul winner. Pastors is a pastor. Teacher, pastor. Uh, look at verse 12. He said, I gave you these different gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers. Verse 12, he said, Here's why I gave it to you, for. The word for means, here's the purpose or because of. He said, for the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. He said, the reason I gave you a pastor is that the saints might be perfected. That word perfecting in the Bible often is referring to making someone whole or complete. He says, the congregation, when they first come to church, they get saved. They're not really complete yet. They're not really mature yet. And the job of a pastor is to make them complete, is to make them whole, is to make them perfect. He said, for the perfectedness, he said, for the work of the ministry, he said, hey, a pastor ought to work. No, he didn't just sit you know, collect a paycheck for doing nothing. He says, for the work of the ministry. He says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The edifying means to build. And he says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? The church. Look at this in verse 13. He says, till we all come in the unity of the faith... And of the knowledge of the Son of God, but he says, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says, He gave us these pastors, these apostles, these evangelists, these teachers, these uh, 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 prophets, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying. He says, How long are we supposed to work at edifying the body of Christ? He says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith. He says, Till we've all grown. He says, so we all come in the unity of faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. He says, so we all have knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice these words, measure and stature. Those two words have to do with growth. You remember when you were a kid and maybe you know you you'd go you know, I know some parents do this, they would maybe like at the kitchen or something, they would measure the growth of a child, and they measure that growth by their stature, by how tall they were. They put that child there, maybe when he was one year old, and they take a pencil and maybe just mark right at the top of his head, and then maybe when he was two years old, they would measure it again and three years old and four, you know, and off and off, and you would measure how how they grew, you know, and some of us kind of stopped growing faster than others, but you know, that's alright. But uh know, that's, you know, the the measure or the stature, that's how you measure growth. And God is saying here about a Christian, He says that He wants you to preach and teach until they measure up and they come to the stature of the fullness, you say, of the pastor, no. Of of what? He says the fullness of Christ. You will be done growing in your Christian walk when you can measure and stature to Jesus Christ. You say, when is that going to be? When you're in heaven in your glorified body. You know what that means? You're never done growing. You're never done in this Christian life growing and learning and expanding. Look at verse 14. He said, why does he want Christians to be grown? Why does he want Christians to be mature? Why does he want Christians to not be little? bit?" Do you remember who's ever heard this terminology being born again? The Bible says when you got saved, you got born into the family of God. And when you got born, you were a spiritual baby. And in your Christian life, you must grow in your Christian life. See, the sad part is that most Christians stay spiritual babies their entire life. You say, well, I've been saved 50 years. That, That means nothing. In the Christian life, your physical age or your physical years that you've been saved means nothing. You grow based on being fed, just like a human grows. If you take a child and you never feed them nutrients, you never feed them anything, they're not going to grow, they're going to wither and die. And he says, I want you to grow to the fullness of Christ. Look at verse 14, here's the purpose, look what he says. That we henceforth, look what he said, be no more children. Do you see that? He says, I don't want you to be a child. He said that we henceforth be no more children. We're talking about spiritually. He says, "Tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive." You know what he's saying? He said, "I don't want you to be the type of Christian that's just over here, over there, just every wind of doctrine, anything you hear, anything." You know? He said, "I want you to be a mature Christian. I want you to know what you believe. I want you to know why you believe what you believe." Hey. But see, most Christians just wander about Well, I heard this preacher on TV He said this And this preacher on the radio said this And I saw this person say that And I was thinking this And they just kind of wander and don't know Today they're a Baptist Tomorrow they're a Pentecostal Today they're King James Tomorrow they're NIV You know, today they're Salvation by faith without works And tomorrow they're like, who knows And you say, what is the problem with that Christian? Here's the problem They're a child They can be, you know Children are easily tricked You ever noticed that? I walk up to my sons, and I go, Got your nose! And they literally think I have my nose. I wiggle my thumb, and they think I've got their nose. Can you imagine if I walked up to Brother Vincent, and I said, Got your nose! You think he'd he'd fall for that? What's the difference between Brother Vincent understanding, "Ah, That's your thumb, idiot. And my four-year-old going, Give me my nose back! What's the difference? One's a grown man, the other one's a child. What's the difference between when I stand up to preach and I take the King James Bible and I, and I take the NIV and I compare them or, and, and I show you, you know, that they're not... And, and somebody says, yeah, of course, that's... that's It's there. And somebody says, I don't understand that. What's the difference? Here's the difference. One's mature, one's immature. When we take the Bible and we show, hey, salvation by grace without works, by faith over and over and over and over, believe, 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 and they say, oh, I don't believe that. What's the difference? Well, the difference is there is that I'm saying but, you know, when people are easily confused about what they believe, it's because they're a child. And the job of church is to help you grow. It's to help you mature. That's my job. Every time that you're an authority over someone, your job is to help them grow. You're there in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at Ephesians 5. Look at verse 25. Let's bring it, let's bring it home to someone who's maybe not a pastor. Look what it says in Ephesians 5.25. Look what the Bible says. Husbands. A husband is, according to the Bible, in authority over his wife. Actually, look at verse 22. Look what it says. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Do you see that? According to the Bible, the husband is the leader in the home. And in verse 25, look what it says. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. That's tough. To love your wife in the same way that Christ loved the church. But that's that's our goal. He says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish look at verse 28, he says so amen, he says in the same way in the same way that Jesus Christ loved the church, said, how did Jesus Christ love the church? well he gave himself for it how did Jesus Christ love the church? well he uh, sanctified it and he cleansed it how did Jesus Christ love the church? he presents it uh, to himself, a glorious church, having not spot, and he says in the same way husband, men Ought to love their own wives look what he says as their own bodies he says you gotta love your wife in the same way you love your own body look what he says he that loveth his wife loveth himself for no man ever yet hated his own flesh look what he says but nourisheth it but nourisheth and cherisheth it even as the Lord the church Bible says, say, hey, husband, love your wife. You say, How do I love my wife? The same way Jesus Christ loved the church. How did Jesus Christ love the church? He gave himself for it, he sanctified it, he presented it to himself. And he says, You know, love your wife in the same way you love your church. And then he gives his example. He says, No man hates his own body his own body, but he nourishes it. You know what the word nourish means? It means to feed, it means to sustain. It means to sustain with food, it means to strengthen. He says, husband, your job is to nourish, to feed, to strengthen, to sustain your wife. Your job is to sanctify your wife. Your job is to present your wife to yourself What What is the job of a husband? The job of a husband is to try to help his wife grow and mature and nurture in the Lord. Let me give you another example. Look at verse, You're there in Ephesians 6, look at verse 1. Look at what the Bible says. Ephesians 6.1 look what the Bible says children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right let me just read that one more time that's a great verse children because we got a lot of kids in the the auditorium today children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right that's what the Bible says honor it says children let me read it one more time children (laughs) obey your parents in the Lord for this is right that's what the Bible says honor thy father and thy mother which is the first command with promise you know what that promise is let me just tell you something kids just listen up real quick you know where it says honor thy father and thy mother which is the first commandment with promise this isn't in the sermon but let me explain something you know why it says the first commandment with promise God gave us commandments in the Bible but the very first commandment He attached a promise to was this the Bible says when you honor your father and mother God promises you that you will have a long life literally look that up study it out and when you're a very disobedient child you know what you're doing you're just, you're just saying to God, hey, I don't want to live very long. Because God says, disobedient children, you know, I'm not trying to threaten you, I'm just trying to tell you. The promise of, of, of honoring your father and your mother is a long life. Uh, I, I heard somebody say, uh, they were asking their grandmother, who was like, very old, like in their mid-90s. And they were still in great health. Like, they were very healthy. They were still able to walk around and take care of themselves, lived in their own house. In their mid-90s, or maybe early 90s, something like that. And, and he asked his grandmother, he said, you know, because his grandmother didn't really do a lot of things that were, you know. She was an unhealthy, but she wasn't really a healthy person. And he says, what do you think is the reason you're in such good health? And he said, I believe that I'm in such good health because I honored my mother and father. And I would say to that, praise the Lord. Because the Bible says that. So, you know, just, uh, just an FYI there. Look at verse 3. Look what it says. Well, actually, let's begin with verse 1 again. Children, <laughs> obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. You see that? See, so you thought I was making it up. And ye fathers, look what it says. Provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up, look what it says, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So when the so the, the husband is supposed to nurture or nourish his wife, and the father is supposed to what? What does it say? Look at verse four and your children, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That word nurture there means guess what? To feed. To protect. To train. The job of a husband who's over his wife is to feed, to nurture, to nourish. The job of a father who's over his children is to feed, to nurture, to nourish. The the job of a pastor who's over his congregation is to feed, to nurture, to nourish. You say, every time you're in authority over someone, your job is to help them grow, mature, feed them, strengthen them. And by the way, mothers, your job too. That verse specifically talking to fathers. You say, well, there's no father in the picture. Then mom better step in. But go back to Acts chapter number 20. You say, okay, so our job, we're supposed to take heed therefore unto ourselves, make sure we're well fed, and we're supposed to take heed unto our children, and unto our spouses, and unto the congregation. But what do we feed them with? Remember we said number one, Paul challenged them, and number two, Paul commended them. Look at verse 32. Look what he says. And now brethren what he says, I commend you to God. That word commend there means to present. It means to mention. It means to praise. It means to entreat or, or, or to give with confidence. It means, it means you're, you're, you're handing them over. He says, he says, and now brethren, I commend you to God. How does he do that? Look what he says, and to the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. You say, what am I supposed to feed my congregation? What am I supposed to feed my spouse? What am I supposed to feed my children? This book right here. Because he says, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. The Bible says, man shall not live by bread Taking heat to yourself. This is why we push so heavily at Verity Baptist Church. You know, family discipleship and family Bible time where you spend time with your children reading the Bible to them. And if they're older, have them read the Bible and talk about the scriptures and, and talk about the Word of God and pray together and have that Bible To bring them to a mature... See, this is what we're missing in our society. People are raising a bunch of 18-year-olds and throwing them into the world, but they're not raising mature, they're not raising perfect, whole, complete individuals ready for society. So what are we raising? A bunch of children. And that's the problem. And my job is to help you not be a child, so that you can help your spouse not be a child, so that you can help your kids not to be a child. That's what the Christian life is about. It's called discipleship. He said, Paul challenged them, Paul commended them. Not only that, but Paul cautions them. Look at verse number 29. Look what he says. He said, you, you would say, Pastor, well why do I need to? Take heed unto myself. And make sure that I'm reading the Bible. And make sure that I'm consistent to church. And getting fed the word of God. And make sure that my kids are in church. And make sure that that I'm reading the Bible with my kids and my my spouse. And why, why do I need to do all that? Well, here's why. Look at verse 29. He says, for I know this. That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. He says, there's an enemy. Other places in the Bible, the Bible says that they're wolves in sheep's clothing. The Bible says in First Peter that the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible says about the devil that when it, when it says that he's a lion, it says he's seeking whom he may devour. That word devour doesn't mean he's having a nice little lunch with a fork and a knife and being very clean. The word devour means he's eating them up and he's destroying them. And it's the same terminology he uses in verse 29. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you. Look what he says, not sparing the flock. He says, They're not going to be nice. He said, they're going to come in and they're going to destroy your life. And they're going to destroy your spouse. And they're going to destroy your kids. He said, you better be ready. You better be strong. You better be complete. He says, there's an enemy. That's why. He's cautioning them. And here's what you can understand. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, for I know this. And it's very interesting. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. He says, that after my departing. See, Paul says, I've been with you, and I've been protecting you, and I've been helping you, and I've been fighting off the wolves, and I've been fighting off the lions, and I've been fighting off the enemy. But he said, I'm not going to be with you all the time. So you better mature real quick. I'm not going to be, you know, and, and, and sometimes people come to this church, and they're living off the spirituality, for whatever it's worth, of the pastor, or of the pastor's wife. You better grow up and live off of your own spirituality. You know, we go out knocking on doors and, 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 you know, telling people about Jesus. And we'll ask people, do you know for sure exactly that you go to heaven? And, and oftentimes they'll say things like, well, my pastor said I'm going to go to heaven. Yeah, that better not be the answer. Somebody else on your door, that better not be the answer you're giving them. You better know why you're going to heaven. You know, somebody, Brother this, somebody literally told us, I, I, they said, I know I'm for sure I'm going to heaven. And he said, well, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven? And he said, my pastor. I thought the man said, whoa. That is crazy. Let me tell you right now if you're trusting in me to get you to heaven, you got more problems, you got more issues than you're, you know, than you know about. We must know what we believe. We must know who we are. We must be perfect and sanctified. Why? Because I might not be around tomorrow. Say, Pastor, are you going? No, but I might die. You know? Your, your spirituality and your Christianity ought not to be based on a man. It ought to be based on the Word of God. He says, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves... And look at this. Enter in. That's the enemy from without. He says, They're going to come into our church. They're, they will enter in among you, not spraying the flock. Look at verse 30. Also, he says, Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. He's saying they're going to come in, they're going to enter in, and he said also of your own selves there's going to be an enemy. There's going to be an enemy from without, and there's going to be an enemy from within. And let me just just give you, a, a, you know, a, a word of caution right now. As our church begins to grow, you better believe there's going to be false prophets coming into this church, spreading lies and spreading you know, uh, heresy. And, and just because somebody comes to this church doesn't mean you automatically trust them. I'm just telling you right now, I love everybody in our church, and I, you know, obviously we, you know, we like everybody, we're going to be nice to everybody, but not everybody who comes to church is good. You know, all these, you, you know, pull up all these newspaper articles where these people are, are molesting children, you know, in Sunday school classes all over America. They're molesting children because they trusted them. They thought they were good. And they dropped out their kids with them. Just because people come to church doesn't mean they're good. And, you know, people are going to come to this church and they're going to start bad-mouthing what I preach from this pulpit. And they're going to start saying, you know, they won't say it to my face. You know, because obviously, you know, one of the reasons I preach the way I do is because I just get up here and scream and yell about what I believe. So they will say to my face, but while you're sitting there, I mean, I've seen it, I've been in this church already. When I'm preaching something, and the person's going, well, you know, I don't like, like that. I mean, I literally have to tell people to be quiet and close their mouths. And if they want the fellowship, they could have came for the donuts while I'm preaching. They say, well, pastor, why would you do that? Because it's my job to protect you. But I might not always be here. So you better know what you believe. Well, I don't really believe that thing about the King James. You better know what you believe. You understand what I'm saying? There's an enemy. And the enemy will come from without, the enemy will come from within. Say, well, Pastor, I don't want to... Look, it's a way of life. Jesus Christ had 12 disciples, and one of them was a devil. Judas Iscariot was, you know, one of the assistant pastors in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not the Mormons, you know. I'm talking about the actual Lord Jesus Christ. And, and he, has, he is a devil. The enemy's coming. I said, number one, Paul challenges them. Number two, Paul commends them. Number three, Paul cautions them about the enemy. Number four, we're done. We're done right here. That's the last point. Paul cares for them. Paul cares for them. Look at verse 33. Look what he said. He says, I have coveted no man's silver or gold, or apparel. That word covet there, means to want, to desire, to lust. He said, I have coveted, I, he said, I did not lust after, I did not want any man's silver, or gold, or apparel. He says, look at verse 3 4, I love this. This is so anti our society today. He says, Yea, ye yourselves know, he says that these hands, I can just imagine him just putting out, he says, Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands, have ministered unto my necessity and to them that were with me. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you know that while I was pastoring your church and while I was preaching to you, these hands went to work every day and they ministered to my necessity and I took care of those that were with me. That's one of the reasons, I love that verse, that's one of the reasons I work a full-time job. It's because I don't want anybody to say, well, you're just in it for the money. Look around. (laughs) You think we have a lot of money? You know, I like to be able to say, hey, you know, all day. And these hands ministered to my need. And Paul said, hey, I didn't covet. He said, I didn't want your stuff. He said, I went out and I worked and pastored a church and took care of other people. Look at verse 35. He said, I have showed you all things how that's so laboring. That means work. You ought to support the weak. See, he's bringing it full circle, because remember, he's never going to see them again, right? He says, hey, you guys need to take heed to yourselves. You guys need to feed yourselves. You guys need to take caution, because I might not be around. And he says, once you become that perfect, complete, whole Christian, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to work hard, I want you to make money, so that you can help other people. He says, I have show- this is what a mature Christian does. He says, I have showed you all things, that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, it, it, you know, and this is, this is tough. This is tough for me. But this is what a mature Christian does. Say, what's the difference between a mature Christian and an immature Christian? The immature Christian is a Christian who comes to church and always wants... Can you help me with this? Can you pay my this? Can, you know? And obviously, I'm not against that. I, we love helping people around here. We help people all the time. We pay, you know, that's not a problem. But there should come a time in your life where you transfer from always needing and being able to give. And I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about you know. There should come a time where you stop just sitting and being fed the word of God, and you start going. God to people. There sure come a time where you stop being the one who's always being ministered to, who's always being, you know, and, and you start ministering to. There should sure come a time where you stop saying, well, the pastor hasn't wronged me. a note in him. Wow. And, and you start, you know, maturing the place. Hey, you know, I'm going to write a note to the new visitor. Hey, I, you know, I'm a, you don't have to do that. You know, but do you understand what I'm saying? You minister. He says, that's what you need to do. Look at verse 35. He says, I have showed you. He said, I showed you. Said, this is what you've seen me do. He said, I have showed you all things, how that's so laboring. Ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And then in conclusion, there, verse 36 says, And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And I don't want you to miss this in verse 37. It says, And they all wept sore, and fell on Paul's neck, and kissed him, sorrowing, most of all, for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. You know, you know the type of Christian that Paul was? Here's the type of Christian that Paul was. When he had to leave, they said, man, we're going to miss you. Man, Paul, we wish you didn't have to go. This is so much sorrow. You say, why, how, why was Paul able to be that type of Christian? Here's why. He was always ministering to others. He was always teaching others. He was always helping others. He was always helping others grow. You know, sometimes people. There, there's been people you know, who like they'll quit our church. And my wife, you know, and I apologize for this one, but sometimes my wife and I think ourselves, good riddance. <laughs> Because they're just, you know, some people come to church and they're just a problem. Every every time we see them, they're just, there's this problem. They don't like this. They don't like that. They want to overstep this boundary. They want to overstep that boundary. They want to do my job. They want, you know what I mean? And it's like, I mean, we love people and a good night. But sometimes it's almost like, man, it's almost better. But that's not how Paul was. When Paul said, hey guys, I got to go. They're like, no, Paul, don't go. That's not of Christian you should be. You say, how do I get that place where you're always ministering? Well, you're always teaching. Well, you're the one who's out soul winning. Bringing in your converts. Bringing in your, your baptisms. And you say, man, you know, I, I gotta... Uh, we're, we're leaving. And, and, and we say, man, don't go. That's the type of Christian you gotta be. That's a complete, full circle, perfect, whole, mature, fully grown Christian. And that's your job. That's what you have to become. You say, how do I become that? Feed yourself. Feed those who you have authority over, and start ministering to others. That's why I had the number of prayer, Heavenly Father. Lord, I ask that you would bless the Bible study, and Father. Obviously, I don't have the control to be able to use these words and make them speak to people, but Your Holy Spirit can. We love You, Lord, in Your precious name. I pray. Amen.